Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinmurn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Welcome to Coast Talk Talk. Today, I'm joined by Tamar Farman Farmayan, co-founder and CEO at Slide. Tamar, uh, welcome to the show. Really looking forward to diving into what you've got going on at Slide and learning a little bit more about you. Awesome. Thanks, Nick, for having me. Uh, if you want to start, uh, just give the audience a quick, uh, quick intro, background, however far back you want to start, whatever you think might be interesting, and then we'll just kind of go. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Tamar Farman Farman. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Slide, where we're enabling Web3 applications to serve effortless experiences for everyday users. Uh, before Slide, I was on the product team at Coinbase, was focused on simplifying crypto experiences for everyday users. Um, I've been active in crypto since 2015 and held product and operations roles at Instacart and others. Uh, in the past years, I've been increasingly interested in simplifying Web3 experiences for non-crypto natives. Um, it's what led me to Coinbase and eventually led me to actually leave and co-found Slack. And so excited to be uh, talking more about Slack today. Thanks again for having me on. Awesome. No, looking forward to it. So definitely we need to simplify, right? Especially, um, you know, someone like myself, not super technical. I mean, it's the number one thing we all hear is... Sounds interesting, but either I've run into a point which was a little difficult or I'm not even going to bother trying because um, it seems complicated. So I guess you've always been interested in, in kind of simplifying and whittling things down to, to, to an easy to understand way. Where, where did that come from? Like why you, you know, what made you want to join Coinbase in the first place? Um, what was your own experience where you found something either to be complicated or you understood that? While it made sense to you, it definitely needed to be presented in a simpler way um, to onboard others. Yeah, so definitely. I guess, um, so I, I, I had a friend who sent me the Bitcoin white paper in 2015. And at the time, I saw this as just being incredibly cool. Um, you know, the idea that you could transact with someone else online, uh, permissionlessly, trustlessly, without a, uh, a third-party intermediary to make that happen was an incredibly compelling idea. Um you know, and I, I, I guess I then that was kind of the beginning of my crypto journey. And, um, you know, so, so, so bought into Bitcoin at that point and then, um, you know, continued to follow the space since then. Um, and I think in the, you know, in the years following that, um, increasingly started to see applications, um, and kind of the promise of these applications that were starting to come out. These were early applications that, um, were built on top of the blockchain that would be increasingly were thinking about how they could serve um, broader and broader audiences. But it still were most of the time the applications that were being used were constrained to a set of people who were pretty technical and were willing to go through a number of different steps to go and access these applications. Uh, a lot of the early applications that took off um, were DeFi related applications. So you had people who were willing to kind of go through a number of different steps and who were even not just willing, but uh, I think interested in many ways. If you follow the you look at a lot of the people in crypto, we're, we're, we're pretty technical, we're interested in technical problems, and we kind of enjoy the technical jungle gym of sorts to go and use these different applications and move across chains and to, um, you know, do just engage in kind of complicated dynamics. And, and um, But that is not the case for the vast majority of users. And increasingly, as we've seen in crypto, as you've had kind of the, the rise of blockchain-powered applications that are trying to reach everyday users, uh, so consumer-oriented applications. And so... 
uh, your prediction markets, social tokens, uh, NFTs, collectible NFTs, uh, music royalty NFTs, uh, decentralized socially, gaming, which is huge, uh, even low-level DeFi. There's this long and quickly growing list of these applications, which are trying to reach everyday users, but it's just far too difficult to use them. And so this was very clear to me as I was going to use these various applications that this was not the way that things were going to be or that they had to be in order for widespread adoption. Um, always had a lot of respect for Coinbase. Coinbase was... Um, you know, has really led the charge in many ways in opening crypto to broader audiences. And um, so that's what attracted me to go to Coinbase originally so I could continue or so I could really work on simplifying these experiences. And then, um, again, why, why I ended up leaving Slide, uh, leaving Coinbase to go and continue that line of work at Slide, albeit in a slightly different format. Did you always think you'd, like, be an entrepreneur? Or was it, a, or was it something like, you know, when you went to Coinbase, were you thinking... Long term, I want to be an entrepreneur. This will just be a great next step. Or was it something at Coinbase, being in a larger company or having a, a different vision that kind of triggered that uh, entrepreneurial move? Yeah, I think I, I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. The question was just when. Um, yeah, I, I, I used to send letters to Steve Jobs when I was really young, um, probably 10 or 11, just kind of writing him about you know various product ideas that I had and things that I hoped that they would implement over at Apple. And I... Um, you know, so I, and I always knew that I, I wanted to kind of follow a, a, a path of building. I always enjoyed building, um, enjoyed working um, in smaller teams and uh, building products and really seeing that impact. And so, you know, I, I was really passionate about the work at Coinbase um, and super grateful for my time there. But I, I knew at some point I was inevitably going to go and found um, my own company. And, and, um, and so that's what happened with Slide. Do you remember what any of those improvements were that you were writing these letters about? Any that you're like, Man, that was still a good idea. Yeah, at the time, um, and again, granted, I was pretty young, so I don't know if, if, if any of these made too much sense in a, in a real scale product capacity. But I, I remember being, um, you know, I'd, I'd wanted there to be more and more functionality around kind of like something that was like bridging between the what you currently had and like the iPhone and what you wanted to move towards um, uh, and kind of have a more of like kind of like semi hybrid experiences between desktop and mobile. Um, and you know whether you could have additional features around um, you know the iPhone and um, you know so various things like this and I, I had different kind of concept products that they could go and, and, and use in conjunction with the iPhone. So, yeah. What were your like? What, you know, there's a lot of kids with ideas and there's a lot of kids interested in things. What was it like? What were your parents saying? What were they thinking about? Like, um, were they? You know, it sounds like they must have been encouraging you. Like, where did you get that optimism that like you as a as a kid? you know, writing a letter to Steve Jobs, A, was something you should take action on. And B, you know, in theory, you took action on it because you believed he would read it. Or, you know, where, where did that where did that optimism come from? Which I think is a key trait of, of entrepreneurs in general. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think I was extremely fortunate. I had parents who believed in me, who were very encouraging, who, um, you know, really wanted me to... Um, pursue my interests and to pursue my passions. And so I think that's, that's something that I was fortunate to have. Um, was also fortunate, you know, I, I guess I, I found these problems really intrinsically interesting. And so I would kind of gravitate towards them. And then I think inevitably it becomes a probably increasingly a self-fulfilling prophecy that people you surround yourself with are also interested in these kinds of things, the communities that you start to embed yourselves with make it that much more compelling and easy. And, you know, when everyone around you is also starting companies and that becomes uh, kind of an increasingly uh, like a path that, yeah, I mean, it just seems like the natural thing to do. And this is, and so I think it started off as an interest, um, you know, was fortunate to have, you know, parents who, who encouraged those interests. And then as I, as I continued to, you know, really have passion for the space and meet more and more people who were building, it was, it was just very clear. This is what I, I wanted to be doing. 
Yeah. So when you're when you're at uh, Coinbase and you're you're getting the spark for Slide or or the the idea for Slide, what was the um, what was the initial initial vision, and then what were the initial steps you took? Like, yeah. So um, you know the original ideas for Slide. Actually, I have to give credit where credit's due to my my brilliant co-founder um, Sam, who who's not here with us today, but. Um, Sam had been working at a uh, company called Polymarket. Polymarket is a big prediction market platform um, where you can go and basically bet on the outcome of almost anything. So whether that's um, you know the, the future price of um, of a stock or of a, of a market index or um, the outcome of an election or the you know where where weather will be these kinds of things. Um, and this was a very popular application on the blockchain um, used by many 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 users. And Sam had built a lot of infrastructure there. Around simplifying crypto user experiences and how, um, and basically enabling normal users and users who are non crypto natives to be able to use Polymarket without having this, uh, this technical understanding. And so he is where he started kind of thinking about these ideas of what, how could we be building products for, for, excuse me, for other companies that would be facing similar issues that they were trying to reach everyday users, but it was still, there were just too many steps that a user would have to go through in order to go use those. Uh, use those products. And so um, where all of these companies were building up uh, a user stack of sorts, kind of they were all building this infrastructure in-house to make it easier for everyday users to come in and and um, and use their products. And so uh, it was at this point that Sam and I were were talking, we started working together and we were kind of um, evolving what this what this would look like in practice and uh, the specific manifestation of the product. And um, it was really as we were working together that it just became exceedingly clear to me that this was a, a colossal opportunity as we kind of, again, evolved this vision of the product. It was, uh, we started seeing a lot of, of customer demand and it was, um, you know, again, very clear that this was what I, this had been an extension of my interest of simplifying user experiences. And this was, um, so it aligned with his interest, my interest. Um, we saw, you know, a big opportunity here, a really huge opportunity, in fact. And so, um, that's how it became very clear to me. This is what I wanted to be spending all my time on. Nice. And so what were the, what was the first steps you guys you guys took together to go from from brainstorming to to pitching? Like, what was the what, what was the uh, what was the initial initial pitch? Do you remember like initial objections or things that you thought this is so clear? But even though we're trying to simplify this for users, apparently this very clear simple message is not simple enough for the people trying to simplify. What, did you run into any resistance, or was it just oh, where have you been this whole time? Um, it was interesting. I think those who understood what we were trying to do, um, it, you know, the, I guess the devil's in the details, right? And so those who understood what we were trying to build, it was really exceedingly clear to them that this was, um, you know, going to be hugely, hugely powerful in the same way that we saw it to be incredibly powerful. There were, of course, those that didn't, you know, see that intuitively or maybe didn't see it as easily. And, um, you know, and, and, and that was, uh, that is what it is. And, I think what's a little bit unique about what we're building is it's not, um, you know, we're building products for these applications, but we don't easily fit into a kind of a standard bucket that you can kind of just point to and say, well, we're just a, you know, we're, we're just building a wallet or we're just building fiat rails. We're just building NFT checkout. We're just building, um, you know, uh, gasless infrastructure. There's kind of like this, these are things that are all the things that I listed are normally thought of largely independently. And so um, putting together a collection, what I would again call the user stack, um, hadn't really been done. Um, and I think thus it was, it was something that it took sometimes uh, people a little bit longer to understand in full the power of what we were building. Is your, was your initial target market like, you know, kind of larger or existing companies transitioning into, into Web3 or more tools for the new builders 
that are coming into Web3, or it was just, you know, kind of both? Yeah, it is a combination of both. Um, and it's really any anyone who's building on um, consumer experiences on the blockchain. And so this ranges from, you know, two-person uh, games that are being hacked together just, um, you know, on, on weekends and evenings and, and hoping to be the next crypto, you know, doodle jump equivalent, all the way up to, um, you know, really big corporations that are Web2 type corporations that are moving over and are now trying to offer uh, the benefits of, of blockchain-powered experiences to their users. And uh, so it's really a range. Uh, these are problems that are shared. Uh, the problems of having users, um, you know, have to set up exchange accounts to buy crypto. They have to set up and install wallets to and, and deal with their seed phrases to uh, custody assets. They have to hold gas tokens. They have to bridge between different blockchains. They have to do all these things, which I'm happy to unpack further. But these are these are pain points that are are, are faced whether you're using a um, a really small application or whether you're using an application that's offered by you know a fortune a fortune 100 company or, um, that's offering Web3 experience. Yeah. What about like I don't even know how to phrase this question, but what about you know, as a um, as a new as a new entrant, right? You might see kind of making this simplifying and easing to onboard as a competitive advantage, right? Yeah. And and then you and then you find, oh no, there's someone out there who's 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 simplifying this for everyone, and so that's you know, like it's going to be just you know, the experience with one of the larger Web two companies is going to be the same as as ours. Have you run into anything like that where people are like, hey, can we just use this, but not let everyone else use it or, or, or does your, you know, or is it a, um, like, where do you, where do you see, not really your role, but more like, it's interesting if it, if it becomes the standard, you know, every time something becomes a standard or open source, it's great. It's just, uh, you know, there's probably teams out there thinking, oh my God, simplifying this was one of our key things. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't really know what my okay. question is, but where do you, where do you kind of see that? I think about that. Cause, cause actually web three, it reminds me of some things we've worked on where it's like, that everything's happening so fast. There's so many people attacking different areas that it's really hard sometimes to know, you know, if something's going to take X amount of time, which one is something that'll be unique to you and which one, by the time you build it, someone else will say, hey, solve this in a much better way because it was the only thing we focused on. And then it becomes a standard. And so then you're like, shoot, well, let me get to the next, let me get to the next thing that I think might be a competitive advantage. And then someone solves that for everyone. Um, it's ex- exciting, but it's a uh, it's tricky. It makes it much trickier as an entrepreneur to figure out, um, you know, yeah. how to do that. Yeah, um, and we we've seen versions of this, um, particularly so when uh, when sites will come and or, or different apps, different Web three applications will go and and you know strike out to build a consumer oriented application. So they'll go and um, you know they'll set out to build a game, or they'll go and set out to build um, an NFT marketplace, or whatever they're going to be building. Um, they oftentimes, they, I guess they don't understand the, how hard it is to build out um, a payment stack, how hard it is to build out a custody stack, um, how hard it is to abstract away transaction fees, how hard it is to you know, query the blockchain internally for them to understand whether transactions went through successfully or not. They're, these are all very challenging things to do. And so I guess to, your, to the point that you raised, oftentimes companies will think that they will actually... We see earlier companies that they'll think, oh, we'll just kind of do all this stuff in-house. We'll just build this out. And then it's it's normally once they've struggled at that for three, four, five months, that that's when they really kind of see how challenging it is to build that out themselves. And that's where um, I think we see applications end up not wanting to do that. Um, and they've kind of put together this patchwork quilt um, set of solutions that they have either assembled or they've built in-house. And um, so it is, it is something that we see uh, in the companies that we work with, but oftentimes they end up 
coming around pretty hard. Yeah, and if they're if they're not already there, with just because they they know how difficult it is to build these things. And candidly, these applications, if we're talking, think about what we're building. We're building the user stack. We're building the the kind of the supporting infrastructure, which enables for easy use of these companies uh, of these companies and these products. But we're not actually we're not building the products themselves. We're not building marketplaces. We're not building games. We're not building um, you know any one of these applications or these or these Web three experiences. We are letting the builders really focus on those. And so we've we've really encountered, I'd say, basically. The only resistance that we see is if a company is just so early that they don't yet know these pain points. But basically, anyone else after that is extremely happy to let someone else take care of these problems for them so they don't have to do it in, in themselves. It's a little bit analogous to what you saw with it's kind of like payments with, with, with Stripe, right? So you had all these companies that came over to the internet and all of them had to deal with payments themselves. But these companies are not payments companies. They could be just selling you furniture. They could just be... You know, offering you an online service and or you know be a social media site with paid features. Those those are not companies that want to have to deal with payments. It's not payments are not high up on their product roadmap of things that they want to build in house. And so somewhat similar for us in crypto, where you know building out custody and uh, fiat rails and gasless infrastructure, all this stuff is not high up on the product roadmap of someone who wants to build a game or a metaverse experience. So um, I guess we're fortunate in that regard. And how do you see it like the stage, right? So Stripe came in, there was already you know payment system they just said hey we can we, we can do something better we can make it easier and we can go wider where but in, in web3 even though we've got a lot of people you know jumping into things it's still not well actually i could be wrong everyone is not jumping in in the same way like how do you how do you time how do you time that how do you time like being early with like going as fast as you as you want to as you want to go yeah i think we I think we we collectively, right? Like I guess Big W, we where we are all still pretty early to this space, and there's still the vast majority of the benefits that come from um, you know blockchain applications lie in front of us. And so those of us who are building in the space right now are by definition early. That said, these building blocks, these 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 experiences, um, you know, these applications, these will be the things that will end up being used by hundreds of millions or or you know billions of users in the future. And they are, you know, all this is being built right now, and it needs to be built now and you know, for for that future use. So I, I think we are early. Uh, we collectively are early. We slide are early, and it's a you know, it's really just incumbent on us to move as quickly as possible for solving for real user needs and. You know, I think, and 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 so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I think about that. And what do you do? Or you probably, don't, I guess it's it's hard to think about, and probably grasping for straws with some of these questions. But like, what do you do as the early? You know, you're the you're you're early providing these services, um, providing these tools. But there was someone before Stripe, you know. So what do you what do you do as you're doing this and as you're growing to safeguard yourself so that when the market matures and we are a little bit farther along that someone can't come in um, at that point, like, like Stripe did. They have to, you know, it's, yeah. it makes it tougher for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I believe it's Teal who says you, uh, you know, you don't want to be the first company to a space. You want to be the last company to a space. And um, I definitely espouse that line of thinking. And I think, I mean, there, there are lots of answers to this, um, both company agnostic and then slot specific. But for us, we, you know, it, for, for us, we really should see this as execution. We're going to execute extremely well. Um, we are very keen on execution. We're keen on building up an incredible team. We're keen on um, also really solving, like, hype, like really being focused on the end user um, and the application. We have two sets of users, right? So we're building for applications and we're building for their end users less implicitly. And 
I, I, I believe the way in which we can and, and, you know, very hopefully will win is that we will be, you know, really hyper cognizant of user problems and solving those problems exceptionally well, exceptionally quickly and, and super reliably. You know, we also want to build up a, 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 I think there's another part of this, which is kind of the brand of trust. As you see, you know, with my, my former employer Coinbase, um, you know, lots of people talk about Coinbase moving slower um, or than, than some of the other exchanges that have popped up. But Coinbase is also an extremely trusted brand. It's a brand that is, um, you know, very, very well respected um, within the industry. And we definitely see ourselves as wanting to build up a, a similar brand of trust of, um, you know, of quality. Um, and, and I think these things also really matter in a space that candidly has, you know, a lot of mixed quality and has, um, you know, a lot of scams and has a lot of things that detract from the space. And so I think being that, you know, that bastion of quality is, is, is also, I think, very important. That's a good point. So, so as it becomes simpler, right? So the, the good news is the simpler it becomes, the more people can be onboarded, the more people can take advantage of, of what's out there. Where will, where will scams like right now? It's obviously the fear of people is like, oh, because of this kind of a unfamiliar behavior, like approving this, approving that, and or seeing a link that looks kind of like it's supposed to be, you know, people, at first, it was, you know, maybe greed or it's too good to be true. So I'm going to try this. And now people are becoming much more, um, much better at, 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 you know, presenting something which which looks real. How much um, of a focus do you have on that? As listen, the more the easier it is for everyone to get in here, the more people we're onboarding who could potentially fall for for some of these yeah. things. Is that a or is, or yeah. the tools you're building will help? onboard people in a way that will prevent a lot of these things from happening. Yeah. So I think if you look at, let's call it, so, so why are there so many scams in crypto? Um, it's really a byproduct of the hyper-financialization that's intrinsic to the space. Is that if you have a, you know, just by definition of the fact that you can tokenize anything and that you can, you know, again, you can, you can earn yield very easily and you can, you can, um, you can trade, you can buy and sell assets, you can exchange, like very, very simply. This hyper and these any kinds of assets, this hyper financialization um, is very attractive for those who are trying to scam people, right? So it's become something that a lot of scammers try and come because it's, well, it's, it's very easy to um, quickly cash out and, you know, scam someone, make a quick buck and then quit the exit. Um, so the two areas in which you see uh, I guess, or two of the areas in which you see losses um, and you know, scams happening and people falling prey to these scams to date um, are probably one on just general speculation that you have, um, you know, a lot of over promises um, that come within the space that, oh, you know, you'll, you'll earn some, you know, some thousand percent uh, APY and that that will be sustained and that you can expect that you'll continue earning some ridiculous, some ridiculous yield. And then you don't end up, and then your, your assets end up going to zero that you've, you've ended up kind of pledging in order to, Try and achieve that. So you have these over promises. I think that um, that I think will be weeded out. Increasingly, people will just have. They won't just. You know, these will. These we will have seen enough of these at a certain point that anyone kind of promising something ridiculous, um, especially if it's an untrusted site, will not be as attractive to the new user or to the existing user who's probably seen a couple of these and heard enough about these that they're not going to want to go and interface with a site like that. Um, the other ones come from hacks, and this is, you know, often mismanagement of keys or users not being able to custody their assets uh, safely and securely. And that is also a really, um, it's a, you have hacks both at the protocol level, and you have hacks both at like kind of like lo- users losing access or kind of like giving someone else um, custody to their assets. Um, we will solve 
a number of these and slide solves a number of these issues. And then also, I believe the space itself will kind of self-heal on a number of these. Um, I think for one, the space will learn increasingly. We'll just have better, better practices. will be better standards around developing products that are less, um, you know, less prone to hacks and to losses at kind of like the, the infrastructure level. Um, I think you'll have also just people will, there will be less of a market for hyper, hyper speculative Ponzi's that are not actually providing any value and that are basically just like, you know, um, casinos on steroids. I think you'll have less of those. Um, and especially as you just have like bigger and bigger brands and more trusted names that uh, users are coming to in web three, just as they do in web two. Um, and then I, you know, through, through tools like slide and through experiences with slide where, um, users don't have to, you know, they have much simplified experiences and not having to, um, you know, explicitly store their, their, their deal with their seed phrase or they, you know, where they have, um, other, other benefits that come from, you know, being able to, um, authenticate themselves via familiar, uh, authentication methods if they want to do that, such as social login or email. Like there are other ways that you can, um, I guess simplify and reduce the risk that users will have losses in the same vector that they had previously, where someone can just go and um, lose access to a private key or grant someone else access to their private key. So um, that was a long-winded answer, but hopefully that, that someone answers the question. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Do you think? Um, do you think for mass adoption, it's just as simple as we'll get mass adoption when the majority of people don't realize it's Web three? Like, it's just so seamless that it's just kind of like, oh, I got this new phone and this new phone asked me to do something slightly different during setup. And now I have this thing, maybe it's called a wallet, maybe it's called something else, but they just don't really, they don't really know everything going on behind the scenes. Or do you think the verbiage and everything that's happening will just become more familiar? Yeah, I think adoption will come, it'll, it'll be, it'll be probably part and parcel between improving user experiences for existing applications and then you know having more and more applications and more experiences that uh, are relevant for everyday users uh, so it's both of those things um, for one you have a number of compelling experiences right now today that are just way 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 too challenging for users to be able to use so you have you know to go and, and interface with a blockchain based game it's you just have to go through so many steps as a user, and that's just really that's a pain for a crypto native, and it's it's untenable for uh, the majority of users. And so that's an, that's a classic example where you just improve the UX, and you will have more people who are using those kinds of experiences. There's also the second um, the second category though, which is just you just need better experiences. I think something we see a lot in crypto is people just building more and more tools for kind of like self self referential tools um, that are. You know, for crypto users, um, being like, built by crypto users for advanced crypto users. And these are not, this is not kind of advancing, I think, the cause of, of, of us building open like, kind of experiences that are relevant for, um, everyday users. And so you have increasingly, I think increasingly though, with you just even look at like the, the web two interest that you've seen where you've had Nike, Louis Vuitton, um, Playboy, uh, you know, Mattel behind, behind, uh, Barbie. You have all these companies that are now starting to come in and really, um, offer these, offer these experiences which are compelling to large, large audiences. And I think those kinds of experiences, both from Web2 and natively Web3 experiences, will really be driving, you know, also wider adoption. So it's both UX and in UX improvements with um, any given application and it's the application itself that has to be really compelling for those users. Yeah, what as a, um, not as an entrepreneur, but as a, you know, player, collector, what what are you most excited about or looking forward to, like, I mean, I guess it- there's a little bit hard to take your entrepreneur hat off on that on that question, but what are you what are you looking forward to on the fun side of things? 
Yeah. Um, I think there's there's really a ton of, of really interesting innovation that's happening right now in the space, which is um, hyper compelling. I think um, just going through uh, gaming is going to be really really interesting. Um, you know, gamers um, currently in in traditional games they spend huge amounts of time uh, accruing in game assets, and then historically those assets are siloed between games. Um, you're not able to easily kind of um, buy in and sell out of those assets a lot of the time. Um, it's, and, and so, and then you have to kind of restart yourself. You might have like dedicated a huge amount of time in one game uh, that you've been playing. And then you have to start from scratch with another game the second you move over. And, um, there's, I think I, I'm really excited to see blockchain based games, uh, emerge in a really serious way, um, and continue to flourish in a serious way. We've already had a number of examples of really successful games. And I think we'll continue to see those just looking at all the, all the names that are piling in and, um, you know, all the activity that's happening there. So very excited there. Um, NFTs, digital collectibles, um, you know, will also become much more commonplace. And I am really excited to see that, um, you know, NFTs really are just opened up a way for people to have uh, real ownership of items in a digital, in a digital context. And that it seems simple, but it's something that has, is, it has really profound implications. And so, um, you know, people, I think we'll just see these, um, everywhere, not just in gaming, we'll see these much more often. And so, um, you'll see them as we're seeing, like there are lots of kind of creator economy style, um, use cases here where you have, uh, you know, um, you can have artists or musicians who are, have a closer relationship and creators who have a close relationship with their, with their fans and that their fans can own part. They can take part in the upside with their creators as those creators earn, uh, as those creators earn money, for instance, on, on streams from songs, um, that they can have, they can have tokens that these NFTs that pertain to, um, you know, experiences that artists can grant, such as, um, you know, in-person experiences, um, online experiences, and you can have these experiences that really come around these these assets. Um, as mentioned, uh, we talked about how a lot of um, you know a lot of Web two brands are coming in, which I think will be really compelling from the perspective of um, just widespread adoption. I think there are going to be a lot of really compelling experiences that are coming there. Um, there's a reason why some of the existing brands that I mentioned. I mean, they also tack on Starbucks, Instagram, Shopify, you name it. There, all these companies are really realizing that this is going to be a really huge movement, and so that's going to be really exciting. I think, of course, there's kind of a continued threat of, um, which is one of the, I think, original promises of crypto is just that we're building more efficient and accessible financial infrastructure. Um, so this ranges from, um, you know, consumer DeFi or consumer decentralized finance applications, uh, prediction markets, um, you know, opening yield to everyday users or opening uh, DeFi yield to everyday users, um, democratizing credit. Um, you know, there are lots of really interesting things that are happening there. Um, I was, I was recently speaking at Circles, um, Circle, the issue were behind USDC, their conference and, you know, the work that companies like that and others are doing as well to bring better financial infrastructure to the masses is really going to be huge. Uh, real world assets coming on chain. Um, there are lots of benefits that come from, um, again, the, just financialization of the, the increased financialization and kind of increased efficiency that comes from bringing real world assets on chain. There's a lot of stuff going on. All of it's really compelling. And there's also a lot of stuff that we can't yet predict. Right. As you introduce these new primitives and these new ways of transacting and interacting, there are just there are all these kind of emergent use cases that come out, and we are seeing a lot of those start to start to uh, percolate. And I'm I'm just really excited about where the space is headed. Yeah, with the space that moves so fast, and there's people, you know, I mean, if you just take something basic like NFTs, right? People that say like, oh, these will be historic; they were first. And there's people saying that's that's flawed thinking because what NFTs are going to be two years from now is not even going to be related to these things, and so. There's not going to be widespread demand for, you know, collecting things just from a, just from a certain era. You know, maybe the first, but not not everything is going to get like this historical value assigned to it. What um, what would your advice be to 
entrepreneurs like within not necessarily building infrastructure, but just like building something like balancing what they can see. Like when, I guess, when should they be building for Like, is it even worth building something for three months from now, six months from now, or should they be thinking, let me try to build something from for two years from now. But then like, how do you balance that on something that's growing and changing so quickly of like when to kind of, what's your target? And then, you know, how do you take into account, you know, I mean, I guess it's a great opportunity for someone who sees the future correctly, but there's going to be way, way more people that see something today, think of a slightly different version. And by the time they build it, it's obsolete and someone's come along. So how do you, um, what would you recommend to someone if you were talking about them and they said, Hey, when should I, how far out should I be building for? How far should I depart from what's actually out there right now? Yeah. I think it depends on what you are building. If you are building, um, yeah, I think with basically any startup, you have to have some conviction or some 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 idea of where you believe that the world is headed, and you're going to build for that necessarily. You're not just going to solely build for the present. Um, I think that is increasingly that that's of course there's even increased importance there if you're building maybe infrastructure for companies that themselves are going to be evolving and where the market will be changing. And so you really have to be aware of where the puck is headed. But for many companies, and and I'd say, uh, you know, many, many companies, you, uh, if you just have a general understanding of where your market is um, now, and like generally what your pain points, that, what the, what the tangible pain points are that uh, users are facing within those markets. And I think you can already do very well just by solving for the pain points now. Of course, this doesn't absolve you of needing to look forward and needing to understand where you're going to be going. And that's how you are, I think, truly a successful entrepreneur is if you really, again, have the sense of where everything is going to be in five or 10 years. But I think there, I, 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 I really believe that even in, 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 in crypto and Web3, that there's, if you were just focused on how can I solve a real world user problem right now using blockchain technology, not you know, build something abstract for people that hopefully that they will use it in some speculative phase that comes in the future. I think that's that's where you will succeed. That you should be like, you know, ideally a lot of people should be building for use cases that aren't that are less market driven, that are less cyclical, that are less speculative, and that are less contingent upon kind of like betting where the next speculative uh, run will be. But that you're you're really building like something that has clear utility and that's probably uh, a little more time agnostic. Though, of course, you always have to be looking for it. So probably balance. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I started, my mind started drifting because I was, before this, we were having an internal debate on a project we're working on. And uh, I was just, I was trying to apply what you wrote that last couple sentences. I was like, yeah, wait, hold on. I think I, I think that tilted me to one side of the argument. Is there, is there anything, other thing that's like, that's on your mind a lot or something you find really interesting that I guess that you want to talk no. about, about the future of Web3 or, or even, um, you know, slide itself. Yeah, I, I as, as mentioned, I think I'm, I'm just really excited about the space where we're headed. Um, I, yeah, of course, I'm biased, but I'm, I'm really, really excited about the future for Slide. I know that we're solving what I believe is really the biggest problem in the space, which is opening this up for opening the space, usability, uh, user experience problems, and generally just making the space usable for um, the vast majority of users that we want to be able to reach. And so that is that excites me basically on a on a day on a day to day basis, just seeing the benefits that we can offer, and it's really exciting to see in the in the customers that we work with, um, you know, where people are just really really these are these are huge pain points that we're relieving, and um, we're just excited to continue, um, you know, solving more and more problems for our our customers and, and really making everyone's lives easier. 
Um, and so, yeah, that was maybe a little bit of a non-answer, but I, I, I it does, it is a genuine uh, source of excitement for me. So, and what's the opposite? What's the, what, what keeps you up at night? What's your, what's your biggest fear about Web three as a whole? Yeah, let's think. I, I think that you know the the what will the opportunity for what we call Web three is that you have just continued development of these incredible, incredibly compelling applications that are are uniquely leveraging blockchain and that, you know, they're not trying to just force, um, you know, force themselves just to, within the constraints of blockchain, but they're more so leveraging the unique properties of blockchains to provide uh, unique use cases and, and or provide existing use cases even better. And so I think um, a failure mode for blockchain application development, which I think we've seen in the past, is just saying, okay, blockchains are incredible and we are going to apply them to every single problem in the world and we are going to reinvent you know, all of our existing internet infrastructure within the context of blockchain. We're just going to move it all over because it's the perfect one-size-fits-all solution to everything. And that is, of course, not the case. There is... So I think you know, a, a failure mode is probably um, either trying to like over over like kind of like overfit blockchain to different use cases um, and or not actually building interesting use cases with blockchain. So those are like kind of like the flip side is the other is the other kind of failure mode that I, I see um, as, as, you know, potentially a risk. That's not one that I actually believe will like materialize. I, I see really, really compelling use cases almost everywhere I look in the space. And so I, I, I really have strong confidence that we are going to continue to see uh, really, really compelling experiences, but I, it's maybe it's something I think I, to be aware of, maybe on a more micro level, and I see in a case by case level. And yeah. yeah, is focus is focus ever an issue? Like with so much opportunity, like internally, like for your you as an individual or for the team as a whole, trying not to tackle too many things and saying, well, we could also add this and this and this. And yeah. I mean, is that a is that a struggle or is it or is it just you yeah. know, very disciplined? Um, I mean, it's it's the uh, it's the perpetual challenge, I think, of people who are who are curious and who um, you know who, who want to go take on big things. That you there's just there's there's so much to there's so much to do there's so much to build. And so in in that regard, we're we're very fortunate to to have that. And of course, we you know I I, I would love for us to solve every problem and that we can go after um, and provide solutions for every issue that people face. But I. So I, I don't think it's something that we struggle with, but I think it's something that we are definitely, you know, cognizant of as I, as I believe every company should be. And that part of what we've seen, um, you know, is, uh, is, is either a way that companies succeed or that they don't succeed is that they don't rigorously prioritize. And just because at an early stage company, it's totally blue sky and you can go in one of, um, you know, myriad different directions and you want to really make sure that the directions that you are headed in are the right ones for you and that you're able to, uh, probably do less but better instead of doing more but less well. And so this is definitely something that we think about, um, you know, frequently and how we can continue to really make sure that we have the eye on the prize and that we're super focused. And um, so yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, definitely, uh, you know, lots of great, lots of great answers, lots of great uh, things to think about. If there's anything you want to add, um, and if not, if, if you just want to say kind of where where can people find you? Where can they where can they follow you? Uh, learn more about what you're doing. Learn more about the company. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, this was I, I guess um, would love for if anyone's interested that they should feel free to uh, find us at slide.so or they can go and find us on Twitter at slideweb3 one word s l i d e web three one word. And yeah, and they, they should feel free to reach out to us for you know questions about uh, usability, about user experience, um, 
yeah, and we're, we're always, our inboxes are open. We're always happy to chat. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, anyone that listened, I think there's a lot of good information in there. Uh, if you get a chance, rate, review, subscribe, share this episode. Hopefully it got your mind spinning like it did mine. There's lots of opportunity. Stay disciplined. Build stuff that everyone needs. Lots of good lessons in there. So we'll see you next time.